I'm Dean Mitchell, and this is KPMG's Forensic Lens, detecting lies, deception and fraud in the world of business. Cartel behaviour is when companies collude to fix prices and manipulate the market. It undermines competition for consumers, takes the legs out from underneath those companies trying to compete fairly, and ultimately means the market, the consumer, and the economies all suffer. Capitalism works when there is true competition. Competition delivers cheaper prices for customers, better service delivery, and lays the foundation for a growing economy. Not every company, or every individual in those companies, is committed to genuine competition. When they stray from this fundamental principle, the man charged with investigating and prosecuting them is Rod Sims, Chair of the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, and he joins us today. Rod, thanks for joining us. To help our listeners understand what cartel behaviour actually is, can you explain it to us in, in simple terms? Yes, look, it's when competitors, that is companies that are competing in the same market, they're competing essentially for the same customers, it's when they get together to fix prices or allocate customers saying, look, I'll deal with these customers, you don't poach them and I won't poach your customers. Or when they're rigging tenders, you're tendering for a contract and they're getting together and saying, well, it's your turn to win the contract. I'll tender for X and you can tender for X plus Y so that we make sure that I win and then I'll return the favour next time. So it's either fixing the price, allocating the market volumes or rigging a tender bid. That's essentially what cartel behaviour is. And obviously it works to help the competitors and the people who are buying the services of those firms are paying more than they should. And it seems to be a little bit more common than we might expect. I know in September last year, you said there were 10 cases or at least 10 cases under investigation by the ACCC. What types of conduct are you seeing in those? It's in just about all sectors of the economy and it's all of what I've just described. We get one, 1.5 on average immunity applications per month. We get a lot of cartel activity. It's across all sectors of the economy. I mean, a little bit more perhaps in construction because of that bidding process, perhaps a bit more in in government procurement because of that bidding process. It's often an issue in pharmaceuticals as well. So those sectors uh, play a big role. But As I think about the cartel activity that we are looking at, it really is across just about every sector of the economy. And we've been talking throughout this series about deceit and the role deception plays in corporate Australia. You just spoke there a little bit about immunity applicants. Obviously, that's one way that the ACCC finds out about bad behaviour. What role do they play and how important are they to your investigations? Yes, it's an interesting aspect of how a competition agency does things and it happens all around the world that there is an immunity avenue. So we can determine that there's a cartel through firstly our own analysis by just looking at things, looking at a lot of data and saying this looks a bit concerning. Secondly, we get reports from government or the private sector that say I've just got two bids in here and they looked incredibly similar in ways that suggest there's been some collusion going on. And then thirdly, we have the immunity path. Now, the immunity path says that 
the first one in to tell us about the cartel will get immunity. Now, this is very unusual in all forms of the law. We accept that. But because cartel behaviour is hard to detect, because you may be getting representatives of three firms turning up at the hotel every Friday night to chat about things, it's been held to be fairly hard to detect. And so the immunity process means that probably 70% of the cartels we're investigating come from immunity applications. And those immunity applications come from unusual sources. I mean, if a lawyer inside a company finds out about activity that they think is concerning, they'll look into it. And they may then go to the board and say, we need to go to the ACCC for immunity because that's the right thing to do. And of course, most boards will agree and go along with that because of their corporate reputation and because, you know, not to might leak and that's a bad look. So it's not so much that one of those three people meeting in the pub on a Friday night decide they'll come in. It's someone in their firms finding out about it and saying, right, we need to be in straight away to get immunity to protect ourselves, but also that's the way the law works. So it's an accepted part of the law. It means, of course, that people involved in cartels at whatever level need to be very careful because somebody could come to us and dob them in. So as I say, 70% of our cartels come in that way. This is done all around the world. It started in the United States. They pioneered it, you know, very innovative thing, but now caught on everywhere. And immunity applicants is obviously one way the ACCC investigates, but without going into all of your operational methodology, what are some of the ways you would typically investigate when that immunity application comes across your desk? When someone comes and sees you and says, hey, we've been involved in some conduct we shouldn't have been, what is it the ACCC practically does to get the information they need? There's two ways that can go. One way is that we could look at it and say, look, thank you, but really we don't think that really is a cartel and we've had examples of that or look yes you're right but it's very technical we don't really think there was much detriment here we don't think there was really much intent to do the wrong thing we certainly don't think the companies will do it again so it goes away that way sometimes there are immunity applications that come because these are international transactions and they've gone for immunity in 10 different jurisdictions. And we say, well, you know, there's nothing particular about Australia. We'll leave it to the other jurisdictions to deal with. So they're the ones we don't take forward. The ones we do take forward require the full cooperation of the immunity party. So when you come in for immunity, you only get immunity on the condition that you help us completely to get to the bottom of the behaviour. And so having come in, you run a risk of immunity being withdrawn if you don't fully cooperate. So of course, that gives us documents, that gives us a whole lot of evidence. For example, an immunity applicant may give us exchanges of documents or texts or whatever. Then we go to the other two parties, keeping up my example of the three players, and those parties say, no, we haven't got any documents, and yet we've got documents in our possession that clearly the other company has got because we've got them from the immunity application. So it's very powerful. When it's there is no immunity application, that other 30% of times, you know, we can still use our powers to get telephone records, we can get 155 information. We very often do raids of companies. They're virtually never reported, but they happen a lot. 
we do them quite a lot. And so we just turn up without warning, take all the documents on the premises that we think are relevant, and that gives us access to a lot of information. So once we're seriously investigating, we have quite a lot of tools at our disposal. And as we said before, you said last year that 10 matters or over 10 matters currently under investigation. Is that more than you've seen historically? Are we seeing a spike? On the one hand, the matters that come to us have been fairly constant. On the other hand, we've got a better capability to deal with more of them. So we've got quite a number of matters before the court at the moment, both criminal and civil, and we've still got a very strong pipeline of matters. So that number 10 that I gave you is probably still the correct number. In essence, that's probably the limit of our capability to investigate, but that's enough. I'm comfortable we've got the resources to be investigating cartel activity as much as we should. I'm comfortable that when we decide not to investigate, really there's probably not much public benefit in doing so. So we're in the right space, I think, at the moment in terms of how we're going about this. Of course, I probably would say that, wouldn't I? But uh, I think it, it goes pretty well. And look, we've had a lot of prosecution. We've had a couple of guilty pleas in two cases in recent months for criminal conduct, criminal cartel conduct. So yes, we've lost a couple of high profile cases. And when we lose, they get a lot of reporting. But we've won way more than we've lost. So uh, the cartel program is pretty healthy. And so I think uh, very much urging companies uh, to make sure they're not engaging in it. We've been speaking about the role individuals play and people perhaps meeting up at the pub and sharing information they shouldn't have and and then colluding and, and forming these cartels. But is it the individuals who are responsible or is it the corporation or is it both? What, In your view, who are the real offenders? The ACCC always takes the companies to court and quite often takes the individuals. We have a very strong view that if we find cartel behaviour or anti-competitive behaviour or misleading conduct consumer behaviour, that if we just take the individuals involved, the company will dismiss them as bad apples and won't take accountability for what's happened. So we believe companies should set up processes that make sure this sort of behaviour doesn't happen. So ultimately, we think the companies are accountable. In cartel matters, will usually also take the individuals involved. And of course, the reason why Parliament has agreed to make cartels a criminal offence is that all senior executives don't want to end up in jail. It's one thing for the company to pay a fine, but going to jail is a completely, you know, it's a massive deterrent. So we take the companies and usually the individuals, and if it's criminal, we'll very much want to take the individuals to send uh, quite a strong message. Rod, what are some of the common mistakes companies make in failing to prevent cartel behaviour? What can they do better? I think companies need to have systems in place that monitor what their senior business people and business units are doing. So companies obviously set objectives for their business units and the individuals in those business units. And of course, they will say that meet your profit objectives by complying with the law. But it's very easy for people in business units to mix with people from other companies. It's very easy for them to say, look, this is terrible. Our margins are all thin. This is unsustainable. Let's get our margins up. 
and agree to fix a price. And basically, they'll convince themselves that's the fair thing to do because margins are too low. And often business people do, at all levels, as I say, convince themselves they're doing the right thing because sustainability requires fair margins. But I think companies need to both make it clear to people that they could end up going to jail, but also that there are systems in place to check that these sort of things aren't happening. And ultimately, it's the systems, and it's the same with your marketing department, not misleading consumers in its energy to get good marketing and increase sales. You give people incentives to make money, you need to make sure they do that in ways that don't cross certain boundaries. And so I think if people are aware that the company is actually taking active steps to check whether cartel behaviour is occurring, that sends a message to people not to do it. Because as I say, that Friday meeting in the pub, it's so easy to think about it if you've got no other voice inside your brain telling you not to. But if the company is pointing out as part of its regular training that, that cartels are bad and et cetera, et cetera, that voice will be there and stop you. So I think it's about good compliance by companies, making sure that companies understand how easy this is to happen and saying to people, look, this is a circumstance you could find yourself in, but it's illegal, you can go to jail, it's the wrong thing to do anyway, it's not what our company wants. And usually with companies, as we know, Dean, you've got to say things a number of times when you're trying to mention compliance objectives, you can't just say it once and move on. You've got to make it clear that the company feels very strongly that this is the sort of behaviour that shouldn't happen. And then I think that message will flow through and you won't have any cartel behaviour. And finally, you've previously raised concerns that perhaps the public sector aren't as aware or alert to cartel behaviour as they should be. What are you seeing there that's of concern? Uh, Pretty well what you just said then, Dean. They're not as alive to look at the tenders and see whether there's a problem. I mean, in the private sector, usually you've got a procurement officer who's there to get the best procurement deals. And there's usually somebody watching to see that they do. And if they don't, they might get moved on if they're not a very good procurement officer. But in the private sector, you know, it's not the same sort of discipline. They're running through process steps. And look, this is sounding more negative than I mean it to. But you know, whereas a private sector procurement officer is looking for competitive bids to get the best price and they're probably better at spotting when they're not getting them and better at working out perhaps why they're not getting them. Whereas the public sector is probably just not as attuned. So we try and do a lot of training with the public sector to say, this is what you should look out for and this is why it's a problem. Now, we try and do that a bit with the private sector as well, but often the law firms who advise the private sector are doing that. So we spend most of our time with the public sector. But is somebody looking to see whether the tenders are just too similar? And you'd be amazed, Dean, how often when parties have agreed that Fred will bid 10% more than Jenny, that Fred's bid is the same as Jenny's bid, except for a little bit of an add-on, which is 10% higher. So they're easy to spot if you know what you're looking for. Keeping corporations honest might in part be the job of the ACCC, but the people ultimately responsible for making sure companies do the right thing by their employees, customers, shareholders and the community is their board of directors. When corporations commit crime, ultimately the board is responsible. 
what happens behind closed doors inside the boardroom can allow corporations to lose their way. Next episode, we open the boardroom door with one of the nation's most respected board directors, Ming Long. People who are extremely motivated by money, they're willing to sacrifice everything for it. We are all capable of doing really terrible things. If that motivation is there, there's degrees of what you'll sacrifice to be able to get it. If you'd like to know more about how KPMG works with organisations to prevent deception and restore trust, head over to our website, which you can find by searching KPMG Forensic. I'm Dean Mitchell, and this is KPMG's Forensic Lens, and I'll see you next time.